Welcome to More Like the Reentry Podcast, a podcast about offender reentry reform and advocacy. And I'm your host, Vinkivia Gardner. We are back with another episode, you all, and we are excited for this episode as well. So for today's episode, we're going back into our advocacy and activism realm. We've had quite a few episodes on here before about that, so I'm sure y'all are very familiar with what our advocacy and activism segment is. Um, But this is the first time we've had an individual on this segment who is pursuing their own journey into advocacy. So it may look a little different compared to the typical organizations that we're talking about. Um, So our conversation may even be a little different today, but it is still exciting to have people on that are um, doing the work in reentry in the different areas of reentry. So without further, I want to introduce our guest. And today we have Miss Sadie Masse. Masai. Masai. Sorry about that. No problem. Um, She is a DMV native who is an ambitious and passionate author on a mission to educate parents and guardians of children of incarcerated parents. She focuses on the importance of supporting a child through their experience and how to provide a safe space emotionally and mentally for their well-being. With 17 plus years of early child care and primary education, she has created these safe spaces throughout her career and has witnessed the effects it has on a child's development. She has her own organization, which she's going to talk about with us today. And I know that I gave a brief bio of who Sadie is, but I really want her to be able to tell y'all who she is because that just doesn't, that bio just doesn't really convey who she is and the work that she does. But I do want to say thank you for coming on and sharing your experience with us and the conversation we're going to have. Oh, not a problem, not a problem. Let me just say that I'm excited because um, I've been anticipating this moment for a while. Um, and just a little bit about myself. Yes, I am from the D.C. area. I currently now reside in Baltimore City. Um, and yes, I do have a background in early child care, 18 plus years as of now or as of this May. Um, and I love children. I have a passion for children. I have a passion for those in need. Um, I was just recently a part of an organization called New Era. Era Nation, um, and they do community work all over the United States. Like there's different chapters. The founding chapter is in Detroit, um, and that that um, organization focuses on, um, you know, black empowerment. You know, in in every aspect of our communities. Um, and there's five level of accountabilities that I still apply to my own personal life now, which is one, self accountability. Two, household accountability. Three community accountability, four, economic, and five, political accountability. Um, and I think that is something that that is going to uh, progress the Black community and other low-income communities forward um, when we start at that place of accountability. And um, I just have a passion for children um, and those in need overall. Like, uh, I come from a big family. I have eight siblings. Like, you know, so I know what that community is like. I know what community is like, why it's important. Um, and I just look forward to helping the community strengthen, like, and get back to the that place of oneness, that place of community, you know, and mm-hmm. making it a safe place for safe place for everybody, you know. Yeah, wholeheartedly agree, and that's what this is about. In in pretty much any advocacy that we're doing is trying to bring people back to community and create those spaces where people can exist and be able to thrive and flourish um, without the barriers um, that are keeping them stuck or that are keeping them down. So I will say I'm definitely grateful for the work that you're doing out there. Um, and I look forward to the more work that you will be doing and what we'll talk about today. Um, so I guess before we, before we jump into some of the nitty gritty things. I kind of just want to start at the very beginning of, uh, so I know me, I know that you said you were relatively new to, um, I guess, advocacy in, for children with incarcerated parents. Um, do you care to share like what, what sparked your interest into this area specifically, or really what really got you passionate about? Like, this is what I need to be doing. Um. Well, what, I would say what got me passionate about it is that 
in our community, I noticed that there's one is not talked about. Two, you don't see the support around this topic and issue as you would do something such as physical abuse or neglect, um, which is which is still you know traumatic in a, in, in every sense, you know. But um, and also my own personal journey, like I just wish that there was more support. Uh, to equip my village, you know, the people that were around me, the people that were left when my dad was incarcerated to help take care of me. Um, that's what uh, is sparking this because I'm like, there, there's, it's got to be more like there's got to be more to this, you know, like it has to be more that we can do or more that can be done because this is such an underrated, um, you know, topic that's talked about within society, but yet there is such a broad I call it a monster one of the monsters in the uh, well mass incarceration is the monster in America's closet America has a lot of monsters in the closet and mass incarceration is one of them because look at the effects yeah and it is, you know and it is what it is but hey we got to do something about it yeah and I agree and like uh wholeheartedly agree with what you're saying like it is and when you think about <laughs> mass incarceration like it is one of those things that is kind of pushed aside and not really acknowledged as well now I would say people are bringing it to light and people doing the work that we're doing right here they're really right. pushing people to start thinking about this before but before it was just oh we're incarcerating people but not really paying attention to the trickling effects that it has right. of, you know we're locking people up but we're not paying attention to the disruption in families that's happening we're not paying attention to the children that are being impacted um, and those kind of things just kind of get sweep, swept underneath the rug um, and it's, it is for people like us that come out here and try to do this work, but, and bring it to, to light. So I definitely understand that of like, it's just, it's such a critical area and it's not talked about. And when you meet children that have incarcerated parents or have, they don't have the support. They don't, they don't have that village. They don't, they don't. And it's, I'm just blessed and I'm fortunate because I did have a village that protected me, you know, that covered me in prayer, grandparents, godparents, like, you know, I, we were left in good hands. And though my mom was a single mom, of course, due to that, you know, she did the best she could, but she had that support. Like my grandparents would pick us up from school, bring us back to their house until my mom got off of work or we'll go to my godparents' house and the same. They'll pick us, take us to school, pick us up from school. And so my mom got home from work. So it's like everybody had a hand in, in playing, you know, playing a part of our upbringing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's, it's most definitely important, like, and I see it because I have kids in my class, especially being in Baltimore City, like, if you look at the incarceration rate here alone, man, in this one little teeny city, like, it's just ridiculous, but, you know, yeah. And I think that there's a lot of value in what you're saying of, like, um, and what we'll get later on with your, you know, with your book and stuff, but in that statement of, I remember growing up, always hearing that say, like, it takes a village. Mm-hmm. And it really does. And even in the context when, even in this type of context, when you're dealing with a child that has a parent that's incarcerated, it does take that village. And if somebody, if that family doesn't have it, right, all the long-term effects um, that are that are going to happen in that family and the disruption because they don't have that support. Yeah. And not only that, you know where they end up? In the child welfare system. And, you know, the, the and the numbers for that, as far as, you know, the number of African-American kids in the child welfare system compared to, you know, other races and next, other races, I'm sorry. Um, it's just the disparities is just out of the roof. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, we can get into it, but I'm gonna stay on topic. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the thing is, I and I and I know we can get into it, and I don't even want to go down that road because I right because it's known. It's yeah, known. It's known. It is and it's known. and it's depressing. Like and it's sad. Like that's the reflect. Like it's it's you look like me. I look like you. Like I feel it. Like I I I'm I don't understand how people can go through life and they 
are numb to what's around them. Like I wasn't raised like that. I was raised to be community conscious. Of course, I I have eight siblings. Hello, nothing is mine. Nothing was ever mine. And we got to share. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, but I, and just, I mean, I don't know. Having that mentality prepares you for this type of work. Like you can't have a only child mentality or, you know, me, myself and I mindset and coming to this type of work. This is not the work for you because you have to give of yourself and you have to be selfless in order to serve others, period. Mm -hmm. That's very true. That is very true. And advocacy can be challenging um, when you're trying to do this work. And, you know, I wonder, you know, do you care to talk to us about what your experience has been like as you've, you know, embarked on this journey as an advocate? Um, I would say... um that one honestly i'm this is new to me the advocacy part is new to me um but as i when i think about what advocacy means like uh, advocate you can advocate for yourself or you can advocate for the group you know or the whole um so now what i'm doing which what what is also fueling me and pushing me for is the advocacy for the little girl in me that was emotionally paralyzed and stuck in that um stage of development where that bond between me and my dad was never formed because due to his incarceration so I'm not only advocating for the children now I'm advocating for the little girl in me that never had nobody to advocate for her so I'm that voice I'm screaming from the mountaintops now hello people this is real like I've been through it like me and my siblings we've been like the older five of us or the first five of my siblings and I, we experienced this. So we, it's real. Like it's, it's so real. And I just want people to know that you can't, you can't do, we can't do away what was done, you know, or the choices that the adults in our lives made to put them in incarceration, whether it be societal or systematic or individual choice, whatever it may be like, for some of us the damage has already been done we talking about 80s babies 90s babies like you know coming up in an age where emotional intelligence wasn't a thing back then we didn't know all this gentle parenting all these new terminologies and these new ways of thinking and dealing with the family are new and then look at the dynamic of the family it has changed so much since those times we were living there so it's like my advocacy is fueled from that little girl in me that is still on her healing journey to not go back, but to come forward, full circus, full surface. Um, I'm sorry, full circle. Um, in, in her whole self, you know. <laughs> Sometimes you just gotta you have to breathe through it. No, and and like, that's amazing because when it comes from a place like that, it's so much more genuine. It's so much more um, authentic and people really feel what it is that you're trying to do because you have that lived experience. You have, you know what it feels like to be in the position where some of these kids are today. Right. And, you know, like you said, may not have known or didn't get the opportunity to have the support some of them don't or to be able to navigate that but that's what you're trying to do is show up in this space so these kids now right we can deal with this right now we can exactly. deal with this exactly exactly I, I yes like i can identify it and you know i, I want to tell a quick story once uh real fast um because i was away at a conference or something in, in texas this is a whole different state and I, I was at a birthday party sitting on the couch minding my business you know and a little four-year-old just walked up to me just out of nowhere and just said my daddy in jail and i said wow one, my heart broke in 10 pieces. Two, I was just like, like, this doesn't make sense. Why is this little boy coming up to me? It's 30 other people around. Like, why is this little boy coming up to me telling me that his daddy in jail? And then not until years later, I'm like, oh, 
He ain't had nobody to tell it to. Everybody around him, nobody is aware. Nobody's listening. He's probably, and he was probably at the time processing all his emotions around not having a father, not, and then knowing what what jail is. See, we, you know, and as a kid, you don't know the difference between jail and prison. Like you just know he locked up or she locked up. Like you not, you can't decipher. Oh, my dad's in prison versus jail. No, my dad is in jail. He's not here. He's not physically present. Like you have an idea where what where he is, but you don't know for sure where he is and don't have the full understanding to why your dad or mom, whomever who is incarcerated is not in your life. Um, but it just hurt me for, cause it can't, cause you know, kids are pure. They going to come from anything they say, anything they express is going to come from a genuine place cause mm -hmm. they're children. So it was just heartbreaking to, to have him. And this is a birthday party. He should have been having fun thinking about playing and, you know, not thinking about his daddy being in jail. No, but when you're grieving, that's sometimes that's how you show your grief. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the emotions you feel having a parent that's incarcerated. Right. And like, I don't think people and, you know, I think a lot of times grief can be associated with, you know, we often talk about it in the form of like death. Death. Or, right. Um, But grief is loss. Like. And that loss of a parent can be. uh so painful mm -hmm. um or any caregiver in that case if whoever it is mm -hmm. can be very painful for a kid this is a four-year-old kid and like you said they only know this person is not here you know <laughs> what i had before with this person is no longer taking place because they are not here and it's like how many kids do we have having that experience and do we want them to keep having that right and 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 then also a part of my advocacy too is to and and, and I want to just pause and backtrack because I said that it's new to me this advocacy but I did start the research earlier in 2020 because um that was the year I graduated from school with my bachelor's mm -hmm. um and I did my senior thesis on um having an part having an incarcerated parent and the social and emotional effects um it has on african-american children so i have done a little bit of research during that time period where i learned so much too and i didn't know then but it's useful now because a lot of the, what i found in the research still sticks with me to this day mm -hmm. um do you care to share uh, if you happen to know like something what what did you learn from that yeah like things some things that i learned um something that's key that I always use is that oh it's the attachment theory um and that when um a parent is incarcerated you know especially if that parent is incarcerated before the child is born or um and and is incarcerated until after that child reaches about four or five like between that time period um, that attachment style becomes insecure because a bond was never formed. Mm -hmm. um, therefore, that child grows up, you know, not knowing how to interact socially and emotionally because you grow up not knowing who to trust, how to trust. I'll let you get close, but not too close mm -hmm. because I don't know what that's like. I don't know if the bonding is safe or not. Mm -hmm. And it could be an in and out situation where the parent goes in and out of incarceration. Um, and there's a lot also like it, uh, incarceration can be generational. It becomes generational out the while. It's an adverse childhood experience is what one of the things that I learned, which blew my mind because I was just like, whoa, what? Like what? And I also long it's the grief part for me. I, that's when I learned that grief is one of the um, emotions and one of the effects of having a parent that's incarcerated because that child is grieving a parent that's still living. And like you said, they're experiencing loss. And how do you put words to that? Mm -hmm. Especially if you can't like, um, I know sometimes they can have phone calls and I don't know due to COVID now, I think in certain states like the regulation and the rules are still no vi physical visitation and they have um 
the iPads where you can FaceTime the inmate and things like that, which I think is better because being a child going in there to see it is even more traumatic to me in my experience. Um, Cause like it's to see the person you love, your hero, you know, or your shero like dehumanized in a way where you seeing them in chains, like, and you know, with other men controlling them and like hauling them in like animals, like, yeah, it, it's it get heavy. That's why I got my therapist on speed dial. What? <laughs> <laughs> and and it does it does get heavy because you know, and I don't think people recognize that like incarceration in whichever form you've experienced it, whether it was directly or you've seen your parents being arrested or um whatever the case may be it's a traumatic experience and it is in that adverse childhood experience adversive childhood experiences because it's something that does take even what we just talked about a psychological toll on children the uncertainty of Mm -hmm. is the parent going to come back can I trust that the parent is going to come back um one thing that I learned, if I could add to this, about this subject is, and that I really never knew about, is the secrecy behind how parents communicate where the missing or absent parent is. Right. You know, oh, he left, or mm-hmm. he, he he's away at a job or something. But that's a totally different thing too. Like I didn't even realize how much that played a role into this of like now the kid is, oh, he left. It was like, did he really leave? Like, but that makes a kid feel abandoned, which right. is a whole nother thing to deal with. A whole nother whoo, child. You didn't hit on hit on the nugget. Cause my, my sisters and I had that conversation. Um and I uh I actually have it on my YouTube channel. Um, because I'm interviewing my older siblings and I were talking about it to bring more awareness as well. So I started a YouTube channel called Convo with Sadie, um, where I talk about my book and I talk about, um, uh, you know, I'm I'm talking with my siblings. Uh, the first episode I just did with my older sisters um, and we talked about our experience because we are the oldest. So we seen everything first. And this Sunday coming up, I'll be having a conversation with my brothers to uh the two oldest of my brothers um who are, are like a, a year or two under me but they also were alive when my dad was incarcerated so they felt it too now they were younger but at the same time that being the ages that they were they didn't get that bonding either so guess what insecure attachment styles going through life not knowing who to trust like and it just bleeds into every aspect of your life you can't just that's why it's so important like that's why I want to fight so hard for not just the children but the entire family because we don't we're not going to ever have a strong community without strong families period you don't like look at any other nest um any other races any other races or race of people who like the Asians the Indians the Caucasians, our white brothers and sisters, they have strong communities because they have strong families mm-hmm. and they support each other. And I think that's one of the biggest things, like when you when you look into mass incarceration and when you look into uh, African-American communities specifically, the family is destroyed. Oh, destroyed. Once an individual goes to prison, goes to jail, is incarcerated period the family is the family dynamic is destroyed and like you're saying if you look at these other different communities of people of races that's what helps them build back to that thriving and flourishment is that family support and having that foundational base and without Mm -hmm. that how is specifically any african-american family that is dealing with incarceration going to be able to move forward if the family is just disrupted right I agree and that's why I just my story is different like I'm blessed I'm blessed to have had that that village like because you know our grandparents could have said girl you on your own you you know you got your people attitudes be like you got yourself into this so you gotta get your no no I had a village I had a village like 
aunts, uncles, grandparents, godparents, everybody played a part and everybody was okay with that um, because they wanted to see the children thrive. Like, And then they knew what type of lifestyle my father was in, not by his choice, but they knew what lifestyle that lifestyle came with. Like, so it was, um, it's either we float or we sink. And my family chose to help my, meet my mom and us, you know, rise above the, you know, the situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, and, and that is so, that's so great. And I want to see more families out there like that, but I know, like you said, and I, I love those things and I want you to talk about them a little bit more is uh, I know that there are some more systematic uh, economic things that really prevent families from being able to thrive, to being able to take that step forward. But I think that there's so much value in what you're saying of that self-accountability, that family accountability, that community accountability of we all have to, you know, we have to acknowledge our role into this and how we mm -hmm. may either be continuing to perpetuate the same problems or maintain them or right. and what can we do to do something differently. And then we can, the systematic stuff will right. come later. Right. Can you, yeah. can you talk to us a little bit more about that? Like, I, I love those five things that you talked about. I know, I know. Like, I know. Newer Nation, shout out to them because that black print is, is something serious. And I, the thing is, is you can't, um, you can't fix yourself or align yourself with any principles if you're not living them already. So all those levels of accountability, maybe I ain't gonna lie, the political, eh, I'm a little shaky on that, but, <laughs> um. I've already I was already living before I became a part of the organization. So to come back to what you said full circle, um I say that you can't hold your neighbor accountable if you're not accountable to yourself. Mm -hmm. And then once you hold yourself accountable, then you can hold everybody in your household accountable. So that's something that um myself and my siblings like we already established that and my father kind of played a role in that in a in a certain way but you know as sometimes as we get older and especially being here in America like we don't sometimes even have time to breathe sometimes because we hustling we bustling we you know on the grind and we all day <laughs> and it's just like just be I just want to be still but not just that um the levels of accountability, um, it starts at home. And then I think we've gotten away from that being acceptable of holding each other accountable because like my parents always talk about how back in the day, like my grandparents' neighbors, if they seen her down the street doing something she ain't had no business doing by the time she got home, my grandparents was going to know. That's community accountability right there. But nowadays it's that's that's my child I don't want you speaking of my child this that and the other it's our child lady it's our child she or and that's how I carry myself if I'm in a situation or if I'm in a place where there's kids around me whether they're mine or not my eye is I'm on the lookout because we all have a part to play like who, who am I to be selfish and be like oh that's such a I don't know them kids like let them do whatever no I don't have that type of mentality be being the person and having the heart that I have I can't, I, I can't, find, what? Like any child that comes into your, your facility, like within eyesight, you know, um, in childcare, they say out of sight, out of mind. Like if, if they're out of your sight, they're out of your mind or um, I'm saying it wrong, but it's something into because it's been, it's been a while. No, I think that, I think that that makes out of sight, out of mind. Like if you're not, if you ain't paying attention to it right now, you're not yeah. thinking about it either. Right. And so, but it's, it's something like that. But it's, it's, in other words, it's saying if you can't see the child, hear the child, you're too far away or you're not being attentive to that child. Therefore, you're neglecting that child in that moment because you're supposed to be the adult and the, the adult and the caregiver watching that child. Like, I don't play with kids. I don't have my own yet, but I don't play with kids and about kids. Like, listen, if they in my eyesight, oh, they're good because I'm going to be watching them. <laughs> they lead the room, I lead the room. I They come in the room, I'm coming in the room. Yeah. So at all times, like, we have to, we have to. And though we've gotten away from that, like, I want to bring that accountability culture back. 
-hmm. where it's okay for me to correct you or come to you and say, hey, sis, come on, let's go vote. And like, whether you believe in it or not, be like, you know, not even just pointing out facts, but like encouraging them, holding them accountable and like, and even economically, you know, black people always complain about changes, this, that, and the other. What are you doing about it? Not being reactive, but being proactive in right. the process. Mm -hmm. So I, I believe that accountability, that accountability piece is most definitely uh, the engine that we need to, to move us forward as a people. Or we're going to stay stagnant and we're going to keep going around the same mountains over and over and over again. And be right. still looped in the same cycle. Yeah, same yep, one. I agree. So you know that's that's definitely an area, and I can see that applying in just so many other areas, even just outside of incarceration. But like, obviously, sticking to the lens of where we're focusing on, what else would you say are areas of improvement that, or areas where you feel like need to be improved when it comes to working with children with incarcerated parents, just based off your experience, what you've been learning, what you've seen. I think um, um a lot, I think areas of growth could most definitely be put towards um one more research and the effects um and that's nationwide two um having or providing a space adults providing a safe for, a space for children experiencing this um for them to be able to freely express themselves and how they feel. Um, and also, although there are not a lot of organizations out there that cater to supporting these families and need and the children of incarcerated parents, there are some out there. So just, I would encourage people to research. And even there's organizations um, like here, um, I'll be working with two organizations on hand that uh, provide like, free mental health services for and free family and individual therapy services. Um, one of the organizations being Connected Communities and the other being the um, XT Foundation and Therapeutic Services here in the DMV area that provide those services. So, and although they may not um, exactly or specifically um, work with children of incarcerated parents they might do something to support them in a different type of way like they can supply uh you know a local food bank that's giving away food or you know a, a shelter if they need backup you know uh, of housing or different just different programs that that will help um doing certain uh, or doing their experience in whole in a whole or as a whole yeah, and I agree. Um, programs don't have to be specifically tailored to children of incarcerated parents. It'd be nice to have some for sure. But just even those other outlets of food banks, of clothing banks, you know, to be able to further support the family, because that's the goal. We're trying to support the families here. Right. And especially those uh, organizations that specialize in the free therapy and the mental health because this like I still can only imagine with my mom like how like how she even kept it together like I know part of it was you know the village that she had um supporting her but at the same token it's like that psychological emotional like despair and distress like on a consistent basis um and I can only like I said I can only imagine um what that was like and not just for the moms or who that parent that's left behind, but also for the children, because mm -hmm. kids can't put into words what they feel, what they express. Mm -hmm. um, it may come out through their actions. Like I know um, in my research previously, um, delinquency is one of the um, behaviors and behavioral issues and also academic issues are caused by having a parent that's incarcerated. One, because if there's no bonding taking place, there's no, uh, in that area of the brain or that cortex of the brain, there is no neurological um, development taking place that should have taken place. Yeah. So it's like, there's a gap in, and I can understand, because I can re even remember back to my own experience. I remember there being a gap in what I, like my school years of what I learned or what I was able to obtain the, those mm -hmm. entire years. 
I'm like, it's only certain things, you know, we go through school and you're supposed to learn and remember. And it's all repetition for us just to remember. Um, and not so much what we learn hands on. But at the same token, there's only a selective things that I've learned um, or I can remember of learning uh, during my, my childhood and my upbringing. Because I'm like, it was so much trauma, not just with him being incarcerated, but other things as well. So all you can do is breathe. Yeah, and that's how it is for some people. Uh, the the life circumstances, the stressors, the trauma really mm-hmm. uh, take over, you know, some of those things like academic academia and how you're doing in school and to where like you say I, I don't have that recollection of that stuff like right. you know, like I should because yeah. this was what was prevalent at my life during that time period man come on now <laughs> I, <laughs> now and, and listen if you if and listen I'm the type of person if you ain't been through it I, you I don't bring it to me because I I won't relate to yeah. anybody that it, haven't gone through anything so i think it's people like us like you said in the beginning who will draw the masses because we we've lived through this we experienced this ourselves like mm-hmm. experience is the best teacher you know we gain wisdom through experience so mm-hmm. but that wisdom is not for us to hold for ourselves but to share it with the world so i'm just excited like mm-hmm. i'm just just ready to take it on although at times it's, it, it could be overwhelming but mm-hmm. Just take them breaths because yeah. the picture is bigger than us. Just, yeah, just breathe. And I try to remind myself that all the time, you know, just breathe because this is, and I, I love that this is bigger than me. This is bigger than, you know, yeah, the picture is bigger than us. There's so much more that it comes with this. Um, And just breathe throughout the process of it. Yeah. Just breathe, cause I've been breathing ever since. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been breathing a lot, and it it helps. It does help breathing techniques, and and that's something too. Like this mindfulness era that we're in, that um I noticed as a kindergarten teacher that we're teaching our kids now, and I was like, wow, wow I wish they would have taught us this back when I was in kindergarten. Okay, I could do a little one, two, deep breathe okay. real quick and calm down. Rainbow <laughs> breath, candle breath, snake breath. They got all the breaths. I uh-huh. said, oh, okay. <laughs> no, seriously, and like just like that stuff is so um helpful especially because these children they're growing up in a in a different era than obviously like when we grew up so and they're seeing a lot more too oh yes seeing a lot more and putting these things in place to where going back to what you said earlier those safe spaces to where they can come in and express and talk about what it is that they are feeling putting these very practical things like the mindfulness techniques breathing techniques in place so they can learn to process their experiences and understand okay this is what I'm I'm feeling a little sad or grief Right. right now because of this right and being able to communicate that to people. Yeah. And and for the adults around them not to shut them down or to like brush them off. Like that's what I'm going to push and encourage as well, because that's so very important. And that's going to play a big part in the stability of that, the emotional and psychological um, stability of that now child soon to be adult (laughs) in the future. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Cause they got to grow up and they're going to walk and they're going to walk with, whatever baggage is put in their bag with them in adulthood. Yeah. Um, but if we can tackle it now, help them understand now. Uh, and I think that's where it comes in. And I'm segueing to this of it comes, it's stuff like the book that you just released or the resources uh, that people have as well out there to be able to explain to children, like, okay, this is, you know, other people have had this experience. This is what's happening, getting them to understand. Um, and so that does lead me to talk about your book. You know, I, it's, it's new, recently launched. Tell, tell us about it. Yes. Um, so this is my baby that I gave birth to. Um, it, it actually came to me last September. September 11th is when I got the download um, from, of the book. And the whole story, the idea, the story was actually, I mean, also 
just birthed out of my pain, me going through this healing process and healing journey. Now, even as a 36 year old adult from that broken childhood, like from being that little girl, you know, um, that, you know, didn't get that chance to, to bond with her dad due to him being incarcerated because those are the key foundational years of development, zero to three. My dad was incarcerated when I was two. He got out when I was six, turning seven. So there was a lot of foundational bondings and attachments that should have been formed that weren't formed. And so what the book came from that, uh, that experience and my healing journey and I wrote it in like two days because it was about my it's about my real life like this is what actually happened all the characters in the book are from my village my grandparents my godparents my mom my sisters my two older sisters everyone in my village that played a part in my upbringing is in the book um there are certain things that um are not told exactly how it went which you know I made it kid friendly and the most important thing about it is that I highlight the main character which is her name is Kiana I highlighted her emotions and how she felt in the book so in the throughout the story she feels different emotions like she feels happy when her dad wakes her up and takes her to school and you know she there's a white and there's also I'm gonna show you but I'm a, I can also send you this there's an emotion guide that goes with the book it's the emotional star key guide so when you see the red star in the book you know she feels scared when you see the the pink star you know she's worried when you see the white star you know she's happy so throughout the book you'll see different color stars that highlight certain emotions and the key goes with the book um, if you order it on Amazon, you don't really get the key because I I forgot to put the key on there, but I'm I can remail it to you. <laughs> but if you order from my website, the book comes with the key. The book comes with the key. And that's the to me the most important part of the book, the emotions. Yeah, very much. And if I may just interrupt really quick, because I, I need to tell them what the name of this book is. The book okay. is called My Concrete Village. Um, you can find it on Amazon. You can also find it on her website, like she just said, and I will make sure I put it in the description box so people can access it. I will also like to preface, preface said that word so wrong, that I bought the book and my order got delayed. I know. <laughs> so I was Amazon. wanting to have my book here with me. Oh, Not I like y'all were going to be able to see it anyways because it's I an know. audio recording, <laughs> but... So we could talk a little bit more about it. Um, but I do think that I, I love that because I I at least feel like, especially in like African-American communities, it's taught to like suppress those emotions. Yes. Um, it's that shut up or I'm going to give you something to cry for or, or that, shut that noise up. And... Or go pray about it. Yeah. yeah. You know? And I think that yeah. that's such an important piece that is often missed. Like when we've talked about the shutdown, we, like even that example of that kid that you said earlier, that four-year-old, they didn't have anybody else to talk to about it. And you, and I imagine you were able to hear them. Right. And I was able to hear him, but, and he just randomly chose me. So I was just like, but he, I don't know. Sometimes I believe kids have this knowing, like they know who's safe and who's not safe. Mm -hmm. It's like a sixth sense they have. They know who's safe. Like, yeah it's I don't my destiny is tied most definitely to children so yeah, everywhere sure. I go you know I have kids following me out the store like they babies you know dropping full binkies out their mouth to start a conversation with me and I'm like okay <laughs> but I love it though I love it though because they remind me of why I'm here and they that that keeps me going so right and they and yeah, and it's like their stories keep you doing things like this, like telling your story, creating um, such good resources like this, because I imagine families are going to take this book, they're going to read it and realize some families is going to open their eyes of like, my kid could be going through this right now. Maybe we need to have a conversation. Are they experiencing any of these emotions? Point to which color on here. Yes, that that's you're the experiencing yes, right now. Woo, yes, that is the whole purpose of this star emotion key that I created. Mm -hmm. Is because I know in the African American community, it's not always 
the tools aren't given for us to express ourselves. So I gave, I created the tool. Mm-hmm. So parents can use that, like you said, and in, in, in the way you just gave an example of how to use it. Um, and yes, like it's so important for us to be able to, because most of the, not I, I wouldn't say most of how the story was written is false. It's not false, but it's what I wish. Some of it is what we I wished I would have received growing up, mm-hmm. which is the safe space to express my emotions. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's why I created Emotion Key. And not just that, like, like I said, once again, being an educator and being in an area where there's mindfulness and there's emotional intelligence, we're, we're, we're encouraging kids to express how they feel and, you know, what to do when they get upset, like, you know, and how to manage being frustrated and angry and things of that nature. So mm-hmm. back then, it was non-existing. In, in the 80s and 90s, it was non-existing. So guess what? This new generation, we're going to make sure that they are prepared, they are equipped to be able to express themselves in a healthy way. Because I also believe that that will, that will lessen the, the violence, that will lessen, like, you know, all the disruption that we see in the schools, like kids out in public. Like mm-hmm. how there's no disregard now for anybody, anything, no authority figures, anything. Like I think that will bring us back into mm-hmm. a place where, you know, in the in the society as a whole, we can learn how to express ourselves freely without bothering, you know, having that those outbursts of, you know, violence and, you know unkind words Mm -hmm. (laughs) i'm just gonna say it like that (laughs) uh no very much because like we all know that's what happens is when the emotions are bottled up they express they find a way to get out and they look very differently for some people they could be adaptive for some maladaptive for others and right and that's the the goal here um and i think with the like i said i'll always go back to this stuff like this is so helpful like i i I also have resources of my own that i've read to help children through this process get that understanding so i am really grateful that you are working to do this stuff and you've put out a book like this i mean you know i hope that if you're looking for something you know, to talk to your children about, to help them go through this, that you really consider going to the website or going to Amazon, whichever is feasible for you um, and buying this book. Because um, I'm, I'm telling y'all, I'm, ar- the, I'm already knowing. I'm already yes. Knowing. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's, that's so rewarding to, to hear too. And also before I even uh like had the book published like I had people calling to me like my age and our age group saying that man I went through that you know it was traumatic for me or my my child's father went through that like and it was traumatic for him and like uh people just meeting different people and networking or and just sharing my story in general people was just there's been an outpour of wow like this is so needed like this is major because not a lot of people talk about this and last year in the state the um former mayor mayor or not mayor the former governor of the state of Maryland Larry Hogan he he said himself at a press conference that um the effect that incarceration has on families and children is one of the most understudied in all of America and all of the American top issues mm-hmm. when it comes to, you know, economic and um, social and political development. Yeah. It's a yeah. critical area. It's a critical area and, and it's in need, like you said, of that research It's in need of people to start, putting the information out there so like we need you to go out here and do this yeah and then the also another sad part is that most prisons and things are privately funded so therefore you know it, it yeah it's just long way coming <laughs> we just gonna leave it at that you know long way coming but like every one step at a time we will get there. Yeah, I believe so. I mean, because we, we still got like some of the vets out here, like Angela Davis, still fighting against the uh, prison industrial complex. So it's being done. 
Mm -hmm. Like, and the torch is most definitely being um being passed down. Right. Yeah. Right. And I'm and I think for me, what I am most excited about is um as you know, I, I'm on my journey for advocacy as well, is the amount of people that are going to be coming into this field and doing the same thing that we're doing. Cause I think one of the greatest things about the newer generation is they are very vocal. They, oh, that's <laughs> and so true. they will very, I guess, I don't know if the word is progressive, um, but they're going to speak out on things. And I, I have been seeing that a lot more. So I think that I'm just looking forward to people that are doing very similar work to what we're doing here. Yes, me as well. Me as well. I'm excited to see that. And I, one of my sisters is a social worker. So she kind of had a had a dibble in it a little bit, so to speak, because we know that incarceration not just affects families and children psychologically and emotionally but we're talking about financially and we're talking about um yeah so and with that 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 puts them in the place of uh poverty or being on that poverty line which create more problems yeah and, and they the, just stack and, yeah and they just stack and it's sad to see. It's sad to see. Um, it really is. Um, but you know, Sadie, before we get off here, because I, I feel like we've had a great conversation. Um, <laughs> we've talked about a lot. We've kind of went everywhere. Um, and you know, we we've been doing this for a minute now. Um, and some people they they may not fully understand everything yet. But if there was one thing that you want our audience members to take away from our conversation what would that be? What I would want people to take from this conversation is to one, create a safe space for children who are experiencing this. Um, and, and the ways in which they can do that is by affirming them. Affirming them, listening to them, and allowing them to express how they feel when they feel it right away. Like, don't take that away from them and just to be that open, safe space for them, because that's going to they're going to appreciate that. And they're going to remember that because kids don't they won't remember what you say, but they are going to remember how you made them feel. Mm -hmm. So that's very, very important. Like, I take that seriously on the behalf of the inner younger version of myself. Yeah, that's 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 my command. And that's true. They will remember how you made them feel. Um, and I think that there's so much power in that. And if we all can adopt um, a mindset like that and put things into practice like that, we could put kids on a different path than what some of them may be on now. Most definitely. Most definitely. I agree. And two, because I said one, two is to get the book. <laughs> it's yes. to get my book yes yes indeed <laughs> buy the book amazon or on the website yes yep. it'll be in the description box like i said earlier so it'll be real easy you just click on it and if i can even get it to where just add it to the basket boom yep. <laughs> <laughs> it'll, it'll be down there yes. um, so another question i want to ask you is you know for people who are similar to us you know, advocates, regardless of what they are advocating for, if you're in incarceration, reentry, whatever layer it is, what advice would you give to them as they are on their journey? To take breaths often. <laughs> the breaths are important. And to also keep the end goal in mind. Mm -hmm. And to know that for me is the children and the family as a whole. Children first, then the entire whole and then the entire the entire entity of the family but also but also to keep the end goal in mind and to always remember what you're doing it for your why mm -hmm. because that's what some because it's been a little slow and it's not I'm not so much concerned about the book selling but it's just like uh, you have to keep that momentum going for yourself Mm -hmm. internally because there might all the time we're not gonna have people rah rah go do it do it you're like you're you know cheering us on so we have to find ways to do that for ourselves mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I definitely agree. And I definitely can relate to that of like, you know, even with a podcast, you're not going to get it, the views that you want all the time. You know, you might not get the sales that you want all the time, but you do have to be your own cheerleader and realize why are you doing this? Um, and like you said, that why is so is so important. And that's what will keep you going as an advocate. Um, so don't give up. Yeah, don't, don't give up and, and have that tunnel vision because and we living in a social media era where you can easily get distracted or discouraged by what so-and-so is doing or, you know, so-and-so's platform took him or she two days to, and boom, you know, they got it. But <laughs> yeah, but don't let that distract you or distur- discourage you too because these are things I have to tell myself as well. Mm-hmm. So. And I, I'm not I'm not the type of person or individual who's going to tell somebody to do something that I'm not willing to do myself. That accountability. That's true. <laughs> it starts with self. It mm-hmm. starts with self. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to go look those up because I'm going to have to put those in the description box, too, so people can learn. You said it's the new era in Michigan. New Era Nation. Yeah, yeah. New Era Nation, but they are the founders. The new mm-hmm. That's the founding chapter, New Era Detroit. Okay. Yep. I'm gonna go, go look that up so I can look. And into I can that. send it. Yeah, I can send it to you too. All the information. Okay, that's yes. We'll do that then. Uh, well, look, Sadie, I want to say thank you. <laughs> um, like <laughs> it is always so great to have people come on and that are so passionate and that are fueled, um, by whatever it is that fuels them to do this work. It's not easy, um. Yeah, and I think that's just safe to say it's not easy to do all the time, but I'm so grateful for you, you know, allowing you yourself to come on here and be vulnerable, share your story, um, talk about how you've used your story to help other people, um, and just be able to use our platform as a way to, you know, show what you're doing out in the world. Like, More Life is very appreciative, and I, I thank you so much. No, I want to thank you for starting this uh More Life podcast and also for considering me and also for supporting me because it takes a village. Now mm-hmm. you're a part of my village. My mm-hmm. village has just expanded because now I have a new connect and a new uh a person who's in my village who's um cuz I I believe the village not only stays the same but it expands over time. Yeah. Especially as new people are being birthed and as new people are um you know, your network is, is yes, expanding. Mm-hmm. I was looking for the word. Yes, expanding. So, yes, yes, you. I got a new member of the village now. So, yeah. I'm excited. <laughs> Look, and we are in the village. And, yes, for sure, like, that it definitely, it does, it does take a village. And if I learned anything from this episode, um, and I had to put it in words. It it just goes back to that saying of it takes a village. Um, and you know, I'm here if you if you ever need anything, I'm I'm in that corner and yeah. Vice versa. Vice versa. <laughs> well look, I I we're gonna wrap up here, y'all, but I, I hope y'all really enjoyed this conversation with us today and um I'm look forward to uh reading the book when it comes in um (laughs) and you know being able to highlight it on the instagram page uh, and everything like that so if you guys are interested in learning more about sadie the work that she does i'll make sure i put all of her information in the description box Uh, i'll put the book down there any additional resources even if you're just interested in learning more about children of incarcerated parents i know we've done quite a few episodes on children of incarcerated parents so i'll i'll link those two just in case if you feel like you missed it and you want to go back and learn about it those will be there too um and as always if you enjoyed this episode please push the subscribe button and follow us on instagram at more life the reentry podcast and sadie tell them where to follow you at you can follow me on facebook under sadie masai and you can follow me on ig or Instagram, um, that's and you can follow me. My name is Sadie Masai and underscore. So my IG is Sadie Masai underscore. But Facebook is Sadie Masai. Oh, and also on YouTube, Convo with Sadie. Um, there's an exclamation mark at the <laughs> at the end of Sadie. So if you look up uh, my YouTube channel, it's called Convo with Sadie. Mm-hmm. Exclamation and- mark. 
it'll all be in the description box too yep. just in case so yep. <laughs> just so y'all know you'll Boom. be able to access her <laughs> <laughs> Boom! there you have it well this will be the end of more life's episode today and thank y'all appreciate you mm -hmm. have a good one everyone